You're listening to Work in Progress. I'm Ramona Schindelheim, Editor-in-Chief of Working Nation. Work in Progress explores the rapidly changing workplace through conversations with innovators, educators, and decision makers, people with solutions to today's workforce challenges. It seems hardly a day goes by without the topic of artificial intelligence being raised. Whether it is simply questions or out-and-out warnings about how AI will change work, life, and learning as we now know it. Joining me on today's podcast to discuss some of the implications for educators, students, and workers is Alex Catron, co-founder and CEO of the nonprofit, the AI Education Project. Alex, welcome to Work in Progress. Thanks for having me. Let's just jump right in. You know, while artificial intelligence, and maybe more precisely, chat GPT, is the word of 2023, you've been talking about it for a number of years now. So tell me a little bit about what made you decide to do the AI education project. What made you start looking at it? Yes, I had a bit of a meandering pathway to the world of AI and education. I, so I started my career in politics, so I graduated from Ohio State. I worked on the Obama reelect. I knew I didn't want to run for office, but I loved like the retail politics of working on a campaign. So I went to DC after the campaign, as, as many folks do, and I was hustling to find a, a political appointment. I ended up getting an appointment to HHS. And so at HHS, I was doing community and state level outreach for the Affordable Care Act, for Medicare, for Ebola. And that actually, I would say, grounded a lot of the work that AIEDU does which is very focused on the grassroots and actually going to places where we know AI conferences haven't traditionally taken place. Um, so I started that work, you know, early on in my career. You know, after the administration was coming to a close, I was trying to figure out what to do next. And I had an advice, you know, a really good mentor in my life who was just like, Alex, you know, this AI thing, he called it big data. You know, he meant AI. This AI thing is a big deal. I don't know anything about it, but I just I think you should just follow that, like just try to learn more. I, I think it's the future. And this is like a lobbyist, you know, who worked with a bunch of tech clients. So I ended up doing that. I went and got a, a job at a, an AI company called Opower. So they were a clean tech, uh, basically using machine learning and behavioral science to nudge people to reduce uh, energy usage. And from there, I was on this sort of path. I was, I was learning more and more about AI at work, but also just, you know, on the side, just like reading books and watching YouTube videos and lectures. And I was growing more and more convinced that this was, this was different from other futurist, hypey technologies. You know, there is actually substance to this. And, and the more I read, I, the more I sort of like, developed that belief. I ended up volunteering for a nonprofit that had just spun out of the Harvard Kennedy School of Government called the Future Society. And I was helping them organize something called the uh, Global Governance of AI Roundtable. And it was at the World Government Summit in, in Dubai. And so all the who's who of you know AI ethicists were there. And it just so happened that I'm telling you, the this, this story is getting somewhere, I promise. One of the funders for this nonprofit was part of this summit. And he saw the work that I was doing just on the side pro bono and basically approached me afterward. It was like, Alex, I want to hire you. I want you to work for my company. And I want you to help me build a corporate social responsibility arm. And so what his company did is it was basically, it was called H5. And H5 was a pioneer in the use of AI in legal services and litigation. And the CEO was basically watching as AI was slowly creeping into the legal system. And yet judges had no idea what AI was, how it works, how it can't, comes to the recommendations that, that it's providing them with really critical decisions like setting bail and sentencing hearings. So he hired me to basically build a training program for his name was Nicholas Economou. 
And Nicholas hired me to build a training program for judges. And we partnered with Stanford and NYU and the National Judicial College. And we hosted, you know, we trained hundreds of judges and, and, and lawyers. And then this fateful full evening, I was on the phone with my mom. My mom, so my parents are both educators. My mom has taught in Title I schools her whole career in Akron Public Schools. She was a math teacher. Now she's a principal. And I was telling her about one of the events that we had done. I think it was an NYU training. And she commented on, she remarked really offhand. It was like, oh, I wish, I wish my kids were, you know, or you should, you should come to Akron and do a training for my kids. You know, I feel like they should be learning about artificial intelligence. You know, that because I, I was sort of, you know, I'd been attending all of these seminars and conferences. And the idea that high school students weren't part of this conversation was kind of surprising because when you hear Silicon Valley and you hear, you know, the, the foremost technologists talk about artificial intelligence, they are speaking with a certainty as if it is a foregone conclusion that this is going to displace tens of millions of people within the next decade. Like, sure thing. Like, we can bet on that. You know, the idea that high school students aren't part of that discussion when the jobs that are going to disappear are jobs that they are potentially considering as their career pathway. And so there seemed to be some really obvious knowledge that could be imparted on, you know, the, the high school students my mom taught. And so thus, AIDU really began as an investigation into, is Akron Public Schools the exception or the rule when it comes to student learning opportunities about artificial intelligence? And the more we just talked to any teacher or principal that would take a meeting with us, and we, we've talked to thousands you know, over the last couple of years, and um, you know, out of like 14,000 school districts in the US, we could only find about less than 12 that had some kind of an AI program. That was the beginning of it all. AI is with us. It's been with us for a while. People need to know about it if they want a good career, because there are careers there. So what are you doing at the project to really empower students to be able to use this to their advantage and create a good career? We have to move past this question of, should we allow students to use ChatGBT? Because industry and business has already decided that this is not a question of should, it's a question of how, full stop. They have internal management consulting teams at many of the biggest companies trying to figure out how quickly can we deploy language models across every corner of our business to eck out more productivity. They see it as a competitive advantage or a competitive risk. Because the future of work isn't pausing to consider whether ChatGPT is, uh, is legitimate for, for somebody to use, schools are going to have to get there. It is hard though, because... It really does upend a lot of the sort of bedrock of the way that we assess intelligence. You know, language has been a heuristic or a proxy for whether or not someone is adept enough or capable or smart for basically the history of civilization. And so the fact that now we have to now reevaluate all of these places where we've relied upon writing as a signal for whether or not someone is worth our time or consideration um, it's it's going to really upend more than just schools. And I think teachers just happen to be the first group to really have to kind of face this, you know, head on and deal with it. We talk about teachers, Say somebody's been there 20 years, you know, 25 years. They didn't learn artificial intelligence. They did not learn this, you know, when they were in school. It is now something that is part of our lives even more so. How do you get the educators up to speed? So I think educators have to be up to speed first. What does it look like for every student to use ChatGPT effectively and competently? You have to have a clear strategy to ensure safe and responsible use of the tool. And that will include things like policies at the district level, 
and privacy considerations and safety considerations. But one of the biggest components of safe and responsible use will be having a teacher at the wheel. This is not about automating the work that teachers do. This is about giving teachers more capacity to do their best work as educators. You know, when we think about teacher training and education, it's really almost a necessary condition for students to really be able to explore these tools. It also happens to be a great way for teachers to enhance learning, and it has profound implications for accessibility and actually enabling us to provide more supports to the students who are, frankly, the most marginalized. Like the, the most marginalized kids today are the ones who benefit the most mm -hmm. by far. Yes, teachers have to learn it. Teachers have to be upskilled in this as well. And so if they're not, then the kids who are coming out of school will be at a disadvantage. As you said, the best companies out there, the companies that are going to thrive are the ones who are taking advantage of this, and many already have artificial intelligence, and we see it every day in our lives. How do we get kids on that path? Or do you think they're just intuitively already know it because, you know, we're all kind of using all this kind of equipment and technology already. I think some kids are going to be early adopters, no doubt, probably more so than, than teachers. Like if we just sort of let things play out without any interventions, yeah, like kids are going to be more likely to be early adopters, but, you know, a really dangerous place to be if you're trying to rely on students opting in to this process of building competence, because some kids will, but we know that certain types of kids are going to be most more likely than others to tinker and play around with the tools. And it's not, it takes some time to really learn how to use chat GPT effectively. It's very easy to get started, but it takes, for me, it's taken six months and I, and I'm still just now really starting to understand like the level of depth that you can get out of the tool if you understand how to interact with it. So that requires, you know, facilitated learning experiences and it has to happen in the classroom. To do that equitably, it's even more important for the for these to be facilitated learning experiences in core subjects. This can't be a introduction to AI class that's an elective because it doesn't matter whether you're going to be a plumber or a investment banker, like you're going to be using generative AI. If you're a plumber, you're going to be using it to write your contracts with customers and to draft your weekly marketing emails and to help you troubleshoot a complicated interaction with a, with a client. So every student needs to have access. We've been doing this here at Working Nation for eight years. And my boss, uh, our founder, our builder, often has said, in 20 years, a marketing department of 20 is going to be a marketing department of one. He didn't know it was going to come so soon. He's been talking about this for a long time that we see how technology is changing. So to make sure people are competitive and they're not left behind, you really do need to make sure everybody has an equal playing field. So what are what is the AI education project then? Are you advocating for a certain set of policies? Who are you talking to? How are you trying to make this happen? Our core intervention is we build really, really high quality award-winning curriculum. And it's curriculum that any school in the country can use. We've focused on middle school and high school, but we have ambitions to go as soon as possible to K-5. And our curriculum is designed to embed into core subjects in addition to computer science and CTE. Uh, and that's really important, getting into core subjects, because that means that students don't get the chance to opt out or opt in. They're just forced it's required learning. That's how you address the equity piece. The, the reason that's so like critical is 
So if you think about assessments, so like the real answer to assessments and cheating is the minimum bar goes up significantly because you're not writing an essay about the scarlet letter. You are creating a screenplay and you're, you're probably also creating the marketing campaign for your movie and you're illustrating the, the cover and you're actually illustrating, let's say, 10 of the scenes in your screenplay. Heck, you're going to go ahead and do the casting as well. And, and that's feasible today in the same amount of time it would a class might spend on a different project with a much less interesting output. For teachers to be able to raise the bar, they have to ensure that every student has access to AI tools because you can't expect a student that doesn't have access to AI to do that level of work products. It's just like a different order of magnitude. And so in order to even solve the question of cheating and assessments, we, we first have to solve the equity question. I agree with you. I mean, I think there's a lot of school districts out there that are in maybe a poorer neighborhood or they may not have the budget that some others do. So do you think that there should be outside of a school system, maybe some programs that could also enhance this for students who don't have that access in their own school district? In general, yes. I mean, we, the more supports that we can have, the more opportunities for students to learn and use AI, the better. We're really focused on getting this into schools. This is as imperative, if not more imperative than broadband access. And COVID showed that when we put our minds to it, we can make progress in bridging those gaps. And it's not perfect, but we're close. We don't have 20 years to get this right with AI, though. We have like three. That's the velocity of, of the, the technology is really the, the, where the challenge lies. It's like we actually have the right foundation. Like we have, we've invested in computer science and STEM ecosystems all over the country. And we have a lot more muscle memory when it comes to funders and corporate philanthropy and sort of everybody working together to address these challenges. But, but the, the normal pace of education is not going to keep up with the pace of adoption in the economy. We are just, AIEDU is really focused on what is like a systems change strategy look like? And the answer to that is you have to support the district leadership and the central offices and help them figure out what safe and responsible use looks like, because that is a necessary condition for teachers getting access. And for teachers, you have to sh like show them, not just tell, but show them how AI actually works, show them what uh, hallucinations are, where AI is just making up facts that sound plausible, just to sort of fill, fill gaps in its, its context or knowledge. You have to show them what AI ethics really means when, when you talk about algorithmic bias. You know, you have to go and open up Midjourney and show them what it outputs when you type in a doctor, which is invariably, for me at least, for, for older white guys. So they have to see that for themselves in order to guide students through those situations which they will encounter. And that's the thing is like we cannot protect students from the weird outputs. Like we can do our best to reduce them, but we actually don't really fully understand how these models work. And so we, we can't, we'll never be able to guarantee that there's not going to be some stuff that happens. And so again, but that's why you have to have sort of the entire system working together towards this outcome. I, I'm now thinking we're going to have to rewrite that um, old phrase, reading, writing, arithmetic, and AI. <laughs> so it's the three R's and AI. Maybe, or maybe so, it's computational I'm... thinking. You know, I, I think actually, because AI is going to be supporting reading, writing, and arithmetic but it's, it's sort of applying those skills with a computational thinking mindset. I've been nerding out about that specific thing. It's like, how do you deal with this question of, you know, you have like some CEOs of AI companies saying that software engineers are, are going to be one of the first careers to get replaced. 
And if you're a computer science teacher and you hear that, it's pretty deflating. And so I've been asked this question a lot. And, and the way I respond is, you know, you even though ChatGPT is very good at writing in English or in other languages for that matter, um, you don't really hear anybody saying, well, students don't need to learn how to write anymore. And I think that's sort of, there is an acknowledgement that there are these sort of like metacognitive skills that will persist regardless of whether or not we're using them in our day-to-day -day work. And I think computational thinking is sort of like maybe that new paradigm for all the work we've invested into computer science and digital literacy. If you could talk to parents, educators, students, what is your call to action? Where do we need to go from here? Yeah. So, you know, right now, like Steve Jobs talks about the computer as, like, as the bicycle for the mind. And right now everybody's riding a bike and some bikes are faster than others. Some, some students have, they're at a different starting line, but they're all on bikes. And what AI is to the mind is it's a sports car. Over the next few years, there are going to be some students who are going to be trying to race on their bicycle against kids in sports cars. And that is both scary, but it's also an opportunity because it means that we can hand kids the keys to a technology they could not have fathomed. They're going to be able to create things that they could not have fathomed being able to create. And all the traditional barriers aren't going to be there. You know, a kid want, is interested in being a video game designer. They can actually create a video game and they'll be able to do it with natural text input, maybe even just natural voice input. And that's already here. It's not even years away. That's already here. And so this opportunity is right in front of us, but it's also a risk. And, and the, the, the imperative thing is, is that every single student needs to learn about what is AI? Why is it important for me? How does it impact me day to day in terms of like the products that I use? And also, and this is the new thing is, how do I use some of these tools safely and effectively? Like, what are their limitations? Like, what are they really good at? We really don't have a minute to lose. What I would say is reach out to us, reach out to AIEDU. You can go to our website, AIEDU.org. We love hearing from pretty much anybody that is, is interested in this topic. We work with parent groups. We work with school districts. We work with nonprofits, with state, federal agencies. If you're thinking about this problem and you have some ideas or specific goals about how we can actually move the needle, like we would love to, to hear more. Alex, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much, Ramona. I've been speaking with Alex Katran, co-founder and CEO of the AI Education Project. I'm Ramona Schindelheim, Editor-in-Chief of Working Nation. Thank you for listening.